Hey, good morning, Cry Out family, and happy, happy Sunday. Just a friendly reminder about our Zoom fellowship tonight at 7 o'clock, hosted by Dan and Mary Cox, and so hopefully you can join us tonight. If you have your Bibles, turn to Esther chapter 9, Esther chapter 9, verses 18 through 32, and all of chapter 10. We're now in part 10 of our series, The Providence and Sovereignty of the Unseen King. In fact, it's the last part of our series. And to be honest with you, I really don't want this series to end, but uh, there are no more chapters, so we have to end it today. And, and I, I don't know about you, but uh, this book has blown my mind. It's transformed my life, and uh, it has given me a bigger view of God. Now, before we get in, into today's text, as always, I want to do a quick review from last week's text, chapter 9, verses 1 through 17. So I want you to follow me here. We now jump ahead nine months when the the two decrees or edicts uh, take effect, and this is the day that the the two unchangeable uh, decrees or edicts come to a head-on clash. And remember, there there was there is one law um, which permitted the enemies of the Jews to rise up against them and destroy them, and the other which permitted the Jews uh, to rise up and defend themselves and destroy the enemy. Now, this day was no longer a day of fear for the Jews, but a day of victory, say victory, and uh, their position, and I love that, their position, uh, ready for the victory, armed and ready to meet the enemy. So let's look at verses 2 and 3 of chapter 9, and it says, the Jews assembled in their cities in all the provinces of King Xerxes to attack those seeking their destruction. No one could stand against them because the people of all the other nationalities were afraid of them. Verse 3, and all the nobles of the provinces, the satraps, the governors, and the king's administrators helped the Jews because fear of Mordecai had seized them. So all those who held their authority directly from the king were now on the side of the Jews. Someone say amen for that. And listen, they recognized that the king in the second decree indicated his will and that the real authority now lay with Mordecai. Well, the Jews then struck down and killed 500 men with the sword. And then in verses 7 through 10, verses 7 through 10, they killed Haman's 10 sons. In fact, at the end of verse 10, it says, they did not lay their hands on the plunder. Then we see the complete defeat of the enemies of the Jews, and that's verses 11 through 16. I want you to follow me now. The number of those slain in the citadel of Susa was reported to the king that same day. Verse 12, the king said to Queen Esther, the Jews have killed and destroyed 500 men and the 10 sons of Haman in the, the citadel of Susa. What have they done with the rest of the king's provinces? Now, what is your petition? It will be given you. What is your request? It will also be granted. Verse 13, if it pleases the king, Esther answered, give the Jews in Susa permission to carry out this day's edict tomorrow also. In other words, give us an extra day. And let Haman's ten sons be hanged on gallows. Verse 14, so the king commanded that this be done, and it was issued in Susa, and they hanged the ten sons of Haman. Now, the, the sons of Haman obviously were already dead, uh, but sometimes criminals, after they, they were executed, were impaled on stakes in public places as reminders and examples, as visual warnings of what happens to those who disobey and displease the king. Verse 15, the Jews in Susa came together on the 14th day of the month of Adar 
And they put to death in Susa 300 men, but they did not lay their hands on the plunder. That's the second time it says that. Verse 16, Meanwhile, the remainder of the Jews who were in the king's provinces also assembled to protect themselves and get relief from their enemies. They killed 75,000, 75,000 of them, but did not lay their hands on the plunder. That's the third time it says they did not lay their hands on the plunder. Now, even though both Persian law and the second edict allowed them to plunder, they didn't. Why? Because they were trying to right the wrong that had been committed by King Saul hundreds of years earlier. Remember, it was in Saul's taking of the plunder from this same clan that got him in trouble and made him lose his kingdom. And that's in 1 Samuel chapter 15. You might remember that, right? Now listen, the Jews weren't going to learn that lesson over again. So what they did, the Jews fixed all this. And they wipe out the, remain, the remaining Amalekites, and they refrain from taking any plunder. Verse 17. Verse 17. This happened on the 13th day of the month of Adar. And on the 14th, they rested and made it a day of feasting and joy. So after their great victory, there was a time of celebration. And they rested, it says, and rejoiced in the fact that God had delivered them from their Enemies. This now brings us to today's text. The title of my message is Feast and Fame. Everyone say that. Feast and Fame. Two points from our text. If you're ready, say yes. Come on, say yes. Number one is the announcing of Purim. The announcing of Purim. It could also be pronounced Purim. The announcing of Purim. And let's look at verses 18 through 19. It says the Jews in Susa, however, had assembled on the 13th and 14th. And then on the 15th, 15th, say 15th, they rested and made it a day of feasting and joy. Verse 19, this is why rural Jews, uh, those living in villages, observe the 14th of the month of Adar as a day of joy and feasting, a day for giving presents to each other. So back in, in verse 17, the Jews in the provinces were feasting and were celebrating on the 14th day of Adar. And here, the Jews in Susa waited until the 15th day to celebrate. So they began a two-day celebration. Let's look at verses 20 through 22. Verses 20 through 22. And here Mordecai sends a letter of instruction to the Jews in the empire. And in this letter, the Feast of Purim is announced and also established. So let's go ahead and read verses 20 through 22. Mordecai, it says, Mordecai recorded these events and he sent letters to all the Jews throughout the provinces of King Xerxes near and far, verse 21, to have them celebrate annually the 14th and 15th days of the month of Adar, verse 22, as a, as a time when the Jews got relief from their enemies and as the month when their sorrow was turned into joy and their mourning into a day of celebration. I want to stop there because this totally, totally reminds me of what Psalm 30, verse 5, Psalm 30, verse 5 says, weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. Hey, what we sow in tears, listen now, what we sow in tears, we will reap in joy. Someone please say amen. Let's read on. He wrote them to observe, he wrote them to observe the days as days of feasting 
and joy and giving presents of giving presents of food to one another and gifts to the poor. So Mordecai in his letter deliberately authorized that this fest, festival would be celebrated annually, year after year, generation after generation, and the story would be retold of God's rescue of his people. It was, it was decreed that these days, the 14th and the 15th of Adar were to be official days of celebration, and they were to be observed by all Jews annually from then on, and they called it the Feast of Purim. And we'll talk more about the Feast of Purim in just a bit. Now, I love that Mordecai authorized a day of celebration to retell the story of God's rescue of his people. There, there's, th- this, is, this is very significant because, listen, he did this because he didn't want them to forget what God had done. Got it? He didn't want them to forget what God had done. Listen, th- this day of celebration, the Feast of Purim, you got to get this provided a safeguard, say safeguard, for God's people against the danger of spiritual forgetfulness. Got it? Of spiritual forgetfulness. Today's text teaches us that remembering what God has done in the past helps us to trust and obey Him for the future. And you see, if we're honest, and if we're really honest, friends, we tend to have short memories when it comes to God's faithfulness in our lives, right? And what comes to mind is is Psalm 78. Write that down, Psalm chapter 78. It provides a soul-stirring look at the dangers of forgetting God's power and provision. And sadly, the Israelites, after the Exodus, fell into sinful spiritual amnesia. And in Psalm 78, you can go home and read it. It tells us that they forgot God's power. They forgot God's power displayed in the 10 Egyptian plagues. And they forgot God's miraculous parting of the Red Sea. And they didn't remember his guidance by the pillars of cloud and fire, nor did they recall his provision of water from rocks and bread from heaven. And and you see, this forgetfulness led them into rebellion and disobedience. In fact, in Numbers chapter 14, write that down, Numbers 14, they cowered at the borders of Canaan, fearing that they couldn't take the promised land. Now listen, friends, if, if only they had remembered, remembered God's power from the past, God's power from the past, they would have they would have had, they would have had the courage they needed. Now, there's a lesson here, and what's the lesson? Here's a lesson. We need to protect ourselves from spiritual amnesia. I'm going to say that again. We need to protect ourselves from spiritual amnesia. Well, how do we do this? Well, I'm glad you asked. We can begin by writing a journal, okay? By writing a journal in which we record, that you and I, we record times when we've personally seen God's miraculous power and amazing love in our lives. Also, uh, instead of celebrating our physical birthday, let's celebrate our spiritual birthday with our family. Listen, we need to commemorate, say that, say commemorate, commemorate days throughout the year to remember specific times of God's deliverance, God's help, and God's faithfulness in our lives, in our lives. So we remember what God has done, 
and celebrate and thank Him for His faithfulness, right? But most importantly, let it be a time to retell the story of God working in our lives to others. Share with others, share with others God's working in our lives. As Psalm 78, chapter 78, verse 4, 78 verse 4 declares, we will not hide them from their descendants. We will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, his power and wonders he has done. My, my mom and dad, my dad, my daddy, he's now in heaven with the Lord. But I remember when uh, there are many times when they would share with me, my brother and my sister, uh, about God's faithfulness in their lives. And my mom now, as I meet with my mom about once a week, and we just talk and we have breakfast, and she, she still reminds me and tells me of God's faithfulness in their lives. Lou and I share with our kids about God's faithfulness in our lives. They're young adults now, but we still share with them uh, about God's faithfulness in our lives. In fact, uh, we, when they were little kids and as they were growing up, uh, the, the favorite thing that I would share with them uh, about God's faithfulness in my life and my wife's life is that the first year of ministry, I only made $11,000. And God sustained us and God was faithful to us. And I thank God for that. So I always remind them of God's faithfulness in our lives. And you see what I love about the Jews here in the book of Esther is instead of mourning what could have happened, they celebrated what God had done. They celebrated what God had done. Psalm 77, write that down. Psalm 77, verses 10 through 12. Uh, Psalm 77, verses 10 through 12. And here Asaph uh, was comforted through the hard and hurtful times by remembering, say remembering, God's help in the past. God's help in the past. And it says this, Then I thought, to this I will appeal, the years when the Most High stretched out His right hand, I will remember, there it is, remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will, I will remember your miracles of long ago. I will consider all your works and meditate on all your mighty deeds. Gosh, I love that. That is awesome. So, so there's a lesson. And, and what's the lesson? Here's the lesson. You can remember the hurt or remember the healing God brought in your life. I'm going to say it again. You can remember the hurt or remember the healing God brought in your life. Now, if you're saved, say amen. Okay, listen, those are your two options. That's it. Those are your two options. You can remember the hurt or remember the healing God brought in your life. It's your choice. It's your choice. And you can regress and remember the hurt and focus on the hurt, or you can recall God's previous miracles and works in your life that give you the courage to continue. Now, I got to be honest with you, friends. There's many Christians who, who just remember the hurt in their lives. That's all they do. They, they just remember the hurt in their lives and forget the healing that God brought into their lives. Now, listen, you're never going to enjoy the healing of God in your life if all that you're focusing on is the hurt. And the truth is, friends, it's, it's human nature, human nature to want to see the worst. And, and let's be honest, we tend to see the worst. So we're, we're, we're pessimists at heart. 
Speaking of a pessimist, uh, I'm reminded of a story of two men, and one was a, a major pessimist. And the first man said, what a beautiful sunny day it is. And the pessimist said, yeah, but it will probably burn my grass. The first man said, what a beautiful rainy day it is. And the pessimist said, yeah, but it will probably wash away my garden. Well, the first man decided to take his pessimist friend duck hunting, and he shot a duck and thought this will impress his pessimist friend. And his dog walked on water to go fetch the duck. And the pessimist responded, dumb, dumb dog, can't even swim. There you go. Can't even swim. His focus is on the wrong thing. Let's go ahead and go back to the text, verses 23 through 28. If you're still with me, say amen. So the Jews agreed to continue the celebration, say celebration, they had begun, doing what Mordecai had written to them. Now, friends, listen, Mordecai now gives uh, a recap of the events that led uh, to the establishment of the annual celebration of Purim. So verses 24, let's read on. Uh, For Haman, son of Hamadatha, the Agagite, the Agagite, excuse me, the enemy of all the Jews, had plotted against the Jews to destroy them and had cast the pur, that is, the lot, for their ruin and destruction. Verse 25, but when the plot came to the king's attention, he issued written orders that the evil scheme Haman had devised against the Jews should come back onto his own head. That's just another way of saying what one sows, one reaps. Let's read on. And that he and his son should be hanged on the gallows. Verse 26. Therefore, these days were called Purim, say Purim, uh, from the word pur, because of everything written in this letter and because of what they had seen and what had happened to them. Now, I want to stop there. Now, remember the word pur, say pur, okay, is the Hebrew word for lot. The word pur appears back in chapter 3, verse 7. You might remember that. And it originates from Haman's casting of lots to determine the day when the Jews would be destroyed. Well, even though Haman cast lots, it is God who directs the decision. Listen, friends, the providential hand of God is behind the scene working and revealing His sovereign power by choosing that particular day to deliver the Jews. Someone say amen. Let's read on, verse 27. The Jews took it on themselves to establish, excuse me, to establish the custom that they and their descendants and all who joined them, so all who joined them, are those who took up the Jewish religion. Remember that? Those who took up the Jewish religion. Should without fail observe, say observe, these two days every year, two days every year, in the way prescribed and at the time appointed. Verse 28. These days should be remembered, say remembered, and observed in every generation, got it? By every family, in every province, province, excuse me, in every city. And these days of Purim should never cease to be celebrated by the Jews, nor should the memory of them die out among their descendants. Now, we don't celebrate the Feast of Purim. We're, we're not Jews. I'm not a Jew, okay, but we're not Jews. But there are two days of the year that we can celebrate uh, and remember and observe, and that is Christmas and what? Easter right? Christmas and Easter. It's to commemorate 
and to celebrate and remember the birth of Jesus Christ and to commemorate and celebrate and remember the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We, we need to celebrate those days. Celebrate those days. Verses 29 through 32, if you're still with me, say amen. And here Esther, Esther joins Mordecai in sending a second letter. A second letter. So let's go ahead and read it. So Queen Esther, daughter of Abihel, along with Mordecai the Jew, wrote with full authority, say full authority, to confirm the second letter concerning Purim. So, so friends, listen now. Not, not only did the letter have the backing of the prime minister, which is Mordecai, but it was also affirmed by the queen, Queen Esther herself. Verse 30. And Mordecai sent letters to all the Jews in the 127 provinces of the kingdom of Xerxes, words of goodwill and assurance. Uh, it could also be rendered peace and truth. The Hebrew, uh, in Hebrew, it's peace and security. I like that, peace and and security. Verse 31, to establish these days of Purim at their designated times, as Mordecai the Jew and Queen Esther had decreed for them, and as they had established for themselves and their descendants in regard to their times of fasting and lamentation. Verse 32, Esther's decree confirmed these regulations about Purim, and it was written down in the records. It was written down in the record. So, so these letters establish the festival of Purim, an annual celebration of these days decreed by both Mordecai, right, and Queen Esther to be recorded and made a public act, and it was written in the book, the records. Now, now to this day, the Jews observe this day on the 13th, 14th, and 15th of Adar. The 13th is a day of fasting um, commemorative of the fast of Esther in chapter 4, verse 16. And the feast and celebration itself is on the 14th and 15th. This yearly feast uh, together is on March 13th through the 15th. Got it? March 13th through the 15th. Now, what they do before the feast and, and the celebration is what they do is they read the book of Esther. All 10 chapters, they read the book of Esther. And, and by the way, Esther, and you got to get this, Esther in the Hebrew scriptures is in a little section toward the end of their Bible called the Ketuvim. Ketuvim. The writings and a portion of the writings known as a Megalot. Megalot means the five scrolls, say five scrolls. The five scrolls in the Hebrew Bible are comprised of the book of Song of Solomon, the book of Ruth, the book of Lamentations, the book of Ecclesiastes, and also the book of Esther's. And all of these five scrolls in the Megalot uh, are recited at different celebrations or commemorations in the Jewish calendar. So I want you to follow me here, okay? Follow me. If you're still with me, say amen. The book of Song of Solomon... Song of Solomon is read every Passover. The book of Ruth is read every Pentecost, the Feast of Pentecost. The book of Lamentations, which describes the destruction of Jerusalem and the destruction of the temple, is read in a special commemoration called Tishbaav, Tishbaav, or the ninth of Av. That's a date in the Jewish calendar when the temple fell. 
The book of Ecclesiastes is read at every Feast of Tabernacles, and the book of Esther is read during the Jewish feast. We know it, right? It's what? The Feast of Purim. If you got it, say got it. Now, before reading the book of Esther, which is performed in the synagogue and begins in the evening, they make use of three forms of of prayer. So I want you to follow me here. In the first of these, speaking of the prayers, they praise God, praise God for counting them worthy to attend uh, this divine service, this divine celebration. In the second, they thank God, they thank Him for the miraculous preservation of their ancestors. And in the third, they bless his holy name. They bless his holy name for having continued their lives for the celebration of another festival in commemoration of it. So so after the prayers, they read the book of Esther. And by the way, friends, whenever the name of Haman is read, they cry out, may he be accursed. And not to mention the children would bring a rattle, a rattle, and use it to make noise every time they hear Haman's name read. Now, after the book is read, then the feast and the celebration begins. And during the feast, some of the children will dress up like Esther, Mordecai, or Haman, and they'll begin to act out the whole story. So the announcing of Purim, we got that right. Number two is the advancement, the advancement of Mordecai. Write that down, say the advancement of Mordecai. And here is the description of Mordecai's fame, exaltation, and rule. So let's go ahead and read verses 1 through 3a. If you're still with me, say amen. Verses 1 through 3a. King Xerxes imposed tribute throughout the empire to its distant shores. Verse 2. And all his acts of power and might, together with a full account of the greatness of Mordecai. Did you get that? To which the king had raised him. Are they not written in the book of the annals of the king of Meda and Persia? Well, the answer is obviously yes. Verse 3, a Mordecai the Jew was second in rank. Did you get that? Mordecai the Jew was second in rank to King Xerxes, preeminent. In other words, distinguished among the Jews. So, so Mordecai, we know the story, right? We know this already. Mordecai, who once was a gatekeeper and marked for death, he was a dead man walking, right? Was made prime minister over all of Persia, second in power only to the king himself. And what Mordecai does, Mordecai joins other renowned, other renowned Jewish statesmen like Joseph and Daniel. Let's read verse 3b, the last part of verse 3. And held in high esteem by his many fellow Jews. That's awesome. Because he worked for the good of his people and spoke up for the welfare of all the Jews. I love that. And you see, unlike Haman, Mordecai used his office to serve the king and to help the Jews. Now, what I love about Mordecai is that Mordecai didn't forget where he came from. He didn't forget his roots. And he didn't ignore, listen now, the needs of his people. And friends, God continued 
to use Mordecai to help the Jewish people. And Mordecai saw to it that they, that they, the Jewish people, were treated with fairness. And what he did, he represented them and protected them. Mordecai was a good, godly man. He cared for the Jewish people. Now, even though his, his political deeds are recorded in the official annals of the Persia Empire, what he did for his people has been recorded by God and will be rewarded. And that's all that matters, that it's recorded by God and that he, Mordecai, will be rewarded. Now, as we, we close today's study and wrap uh, up this whole series, I want us to look at the four themes, four themes we have seen in the book of Esther. There's four themes, I believe, in the book of Esther. So, so follow me here. Everybody say yes. Four themes. The first theme is God's protection of the people of Israel. Say that. God's protection, write that down, of the people of Israel. Now, friends, since the beginning of mankind, it has always been, it has always been Satan's desire to destroy Israel. In Genesis chapter 3, Genesis chapter 3, go home and read it, friends. He, he the devil, was determined to prevent the Messiah from coming. In the book of Exodus, you know this, right? Pharaoh sought to destroy all the babies, but God, say but God, saved Moses. And there were various Gentile kings who invaded Israel, but there was always a remnant. Herod in the New Testament had all the male children in Bethlehem and throughout the region who were two years older and under killed. Hitler killed 6 million Jews. And there are many others who have killed Jews. Why? Why? Because Satan wants to thwart the plan of God. Listen, friends, Jesus is going to return one day. Someone say amen to that. And he's going to restore Israel. You see, the book of Esther reminds us that the plan for Israel will be carried out, will be fulfilled. And I want to tell you, not Haman, not Satan using Haman could destroy the people of God, could put an end to the Abrahamic and Davidic promises of the preservation of the nation for the coming of Messiah and the ultimate deliverance of Israel. Listen, God's covenant love for Israel is being and will be fulfilled. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. Someone say, "Amen." So the first theme is God. First theme, excuse me, is God's protection of the people of Israel. The second theme is a picture of the battle between the flesh and the spirit. Write that down. A picture of the battle between the flesh and the spirit. And friends, Haman represented the man after the flesh. Right after the flesh, never satisfied, always wanting more and always ready to knock down whoever's in the way. That was Haman. And you see, the flesh sees what it doesn't have instead of what it does have. Now, in order for God's purpose, listen now, in order for God's purpose to be carried out, the flesh had to be put to death. So, Haman was put to death. Mordecai, say Mordecai, represented the man led by the Spirit. Mordecai, again, represented the man led by the Spirit. He was a great example of one who was led by God's Spirit. 
Well, how do we know this? Well, he was humble. He was a man of prayer. He Listen now, he, he, uh, he, he's one who was seeking the good of the people, and he was one who was seeking peace. He was one who was led by the Spirit. The third theme, the third theme is God's providence and sovereignty, right? We know that, right? God's providence and God's sovereignty. Write that down, God's providence and sovereignty. Now, you know, there, there are no, we, we know this, right? There are no miracles in the book of Esther. But the whole book itself, friends, is a miracle of divine providence. Also, God is not mentioned, right? We know that. God is not mentioned in this book, but His presence and His power is visible, very visible. In fact, His fingerprints are all over the pages of Esther. And you see, the hero of this book, the, the hero of, of, of Esther, okay, is, is, is God. It's, it's not Esther, it's not Mordecai. God, he's the hero. He's the one who's moving behind the scenes to orchestrate his plan. Orphan Esther, right? Or, Orphan Esther became queen, positioned to speak to the king for such a time as this. Mordecai, the gatekeeper, became second in command to the king. Listen, friends, through the providence and sovereignty of God, the nation of Israel was not only preserved, but also promoted and protected. Someone say amen. Now, if you're saved, say amen. Come on, say amen. Never, listen now, if you're saved, never forget the providence and the sovereignty of God. Even, listen now, even when things don't make sense in your life, God is working, and God is moving on your behalf. The fourth theme, the fourth theme, and I love this one, is divine reversals. Write that down, say divine reversals. So you have God's protection of the people of Israel, a picture of the battle between the flesh and the spirit, God's providence and sovereignty, and finally the fourth theme is divine reversals. Divine reversals. And in fact, if, if you really and we have, right? We studied the book of Esther. You can see five of these divine reversals, and I want to give them quickly to you. There was an economic reversal. There was an economic reversal, right? All that Haman owned now belonged to Queen Esther. Say amen. That's an economic reversal. Proverbs 13.22b. Proverbs 13.22b says, the inheritance of the wicked Got to get this now. I love this. It's stored up for the righteous. Good place to say amen. So there was an economic reversal, but there was also a, a political reversal. A political reversal. Now remember, the king took off his signet ring and gave it to Mordecai. Remember that? And the signet ring was the ring of authority, say authority, where you can officially represent the king. Haman had the king's signet ring, but now it belongs to Mordecai. So there was an economic reversal. There was a political reversal. And also there was a legal, say legal, reversal. Write that down. There was a legal reversal. Now remember, Haman had drafted a decree to kill all the Jews, right? So the queen, what she does, she approaches the king and asks the king to revoke it. Now there was a problem. And that problem was that Persian law would not allow you to revoke 
a decree. Haman's decree was irrevocable. So the king allows Esther, love this, right? We know this, and Mordecai to draft a new decree with his seal on it that gave the Jews the right to defend themselves from their enemies. Someone say amen. So there was a, an economic reversal, a political reversal, a legal reversal, and there was also an emotional, emotional reversal. Write that down, an emotional reversal. Back in chapter 4, verse 3, when the first decree was passed, it says this, there was great mourning among the Jews, weeping, wailing, many lay in sackcloth and ashes. But when the second decree was passed, it says in chapter 8, verse 16, it was a time of happiness, joy, gladness, and honor. There was an emotional reversal. Listen, you're crying one day and rejoicing. You're rejoicing the next. God can turn pain into pleasure, sadness into joy. This reminds me what, what? weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. So there was an economic reversal, a political reversal, a legal reversal, an emotional reversal, and finally, there was a spiritual, spiritual reversal. Write that down, a spiritual reversal. If you're still with me, say amen. I'm loving this. A spiritual reversal. Look at verses, excuse me, in chapter 8, verse 17b, we can look at that. In chapter 8, verse 17b, it says, and many people of other nationalities became Jews, became Jews. You know, they were religious Jews, not racial Jews, got it? But they became Jews because fear of the Jews had seized them. So, so when they saw what God was doing for his people, they pretty much said, we want what you have. We want what you have. And so, so to become a Jew, you had to come under the Jewish covenant. And to come under the Jewish covenant, you had to accept the Jewish God. So there was a spiritual re. Reversal. If you love it, say love it. Say amen. So, so the bottom line, with all that being said, the bottom line in the book of Esther is that God is working and God is moving behind the scenes on behalf of the Jews. And friends, what happened in the book of Esther was not random. There was a designer, there was a coordinator, and a power behind all that happened. And I want us to be encouraged to be totally encouraged that the same God working and moving, friends, behind the scenes in the book of Esther is the same God, say same God, the same God working and moving behind the scenes on our behalf today. That no matter, no matter what we're facing in life, there is above, in, and below our lives a divine architect ordering every single detail to accomplish his perfect will in our lives, to his eternal glory. Say amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, it has been, man, such an amazing journey through the book of Esther. So many lessons and so many truths and so much comfort, peace, and rest knowing, Lord, that you are the same God today that you were then. Father, you're working and moving, working everything out for our good and for your glory. So thank you for your word that takes away all the fear, Lord, 
in doubt from our lives. Your word that blows our minds, transforms our lives, and gives us, Lord, a bigger view of who you are. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen, amen, and amen. Wow, amen. Listen, if you've never asked Jesus Christ to come into your life to be your personal Lord and Savior, we want to give you that opportunity today to accept him, follow him, and live for him. Uh, Romans 10.9 says, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So if that's you, I want you to bow your head, close your eyes, and repeat this prayer after me. Dear Jesus, I admit that I'm a sinner and I need you to come into my life. I confess with my mouth that you are Lord and I believe in my heart that God raised you from the dead. I receive you this day into my life. I am saved, sealed, sanctified, justified, satisfied, purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ. I am born again. Thank you, Jesus, for receiving me. From this day forth, I will serve you and honor you until you call me home. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Now, if you said that prayer to ask Christ to come into your life and to follow him, we'd love to hear from you. So you can email us at contact at cryout.org. And that's contact at cryout.org. So listen, friends, I hope you guys enjoyed the whole series. I did. And don't forget tonight at 7 p.m., um, our um, Connection Fellowship. Hope to see you then. Love you. God bless you. And have a wonderful, wonderful Sunday.